But if you would, y'all, we've been doing for the last several weeks a study on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I honestly think unless the Lord changes is something we're going to have today and one more. But uh, on, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to me it's been a wonderful study. These are things that you may know. Maybe there's some things you've learned. I pray that you have learned some things through this study. But also uh, things that you maybe knew and it helped you become more biblically uh, or scripturally established, I guess, in what you know. And that's always very comforting to me. It's a joy to study God's Word. We're going to study it again today. If you would turn with me to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now the Bible says as you're turning there, in Ephesians talking about Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection, that when He, when he ascended on high, He led the captives free and gave gifts unto men. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. He led the captives free and He gave gifts unto men. In that passage, it talks about the fivefold ministry of the apostles and prophets and teachers and so forth. But there are gifts that God gives. There are spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've stressed very much, and it's important that you know, every born-again person, whether they've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not, whether they're Pentecostal in their beliefs or not, Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. They would not be born again if they were not born of the Spirit of God. So in a, in a, a Spirit-filled believer is no better of a Christian in the sense that some superior race to a believer that's not baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it is the will of God for His people once having been bought by the blood of Jesus and born again, to then be filled with His Spirit. He commanded His apostles and they waited. Don't you leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He restated the promise and He said this, that you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire not many days from now. And they waited and they prayed. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of God's promise. And then we see the church explode. And then we see the church growth and the ministries and churches being started and souls being saved and pastors being raised up and the miracles taking place. And so there's an order that God has. Salvation and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people are saved and are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they can be. Okay? They can be. And then there are the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. They are more than what we're just going to read about here, but this is commonly what we would call the gifts of the Spirit that are listed as such in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and so we're not going to teach on the whole chapter, but I definitely want to uh, begin reading at the beginning. We're going to read 1 through 7 right now together. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth, okay? And this is for all of us as well, though. He goes, You were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give unto you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. Okay, we're going to talk about this for just a minute. There are spiritual gifts that are given, right? The Bible talks about it here. We'll read some more in Romans in just a moment. But the word gifts here, when he says now concerning spiritual gifts, that is the Greek word charisma. We've heard charisma, and I think it's misused a lot of times. We'll say that politician has a lot of charisma or whatever. But specifically, it's speaking about the Lord. It's speaking about something divine. Okay? It means a, a divine gratuity, a spiritual endowment, a miraculous faculty, a free gift. Okay? A free gift. That's not just someone that we think has really got some kind of uh, over-the-top personality that attracts a lot of people. That's not the same thing as what we're talking about here. A spiritual endowment, okay? An endowment is given. It's, <clears throat> it's a free gift. The same word is used in when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Same word. It's a gift of the Lord. It's not earned. And <clears throat> we should never fear receiving any gift from the Lord. And I think sometimes, whether it's a misunderstanding or we've seen perversions of it and so forth, there's a lot of times in the church where believers are very cautious and leery of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of anything Pentecostal, of anything uh, charismatic, because what they associate in their minds with that is not the reality of it biblically. They associate some perversion of it. Like I've said before, the snake handlers and the people drinking cyanide and you know just kind of things that are not biblical. And they think, oh, that they put it all in the same boat so to speak and they want nothing to do with it but we should never be afraid to receive a gift from God we weren't afraid to receive salvation right we gave our lives to the Lord we're so thankful that he saved us we're so thankful thank you for the gift of eternal life he gave us that we didn't earn it and we won't earn it living for God all of our lives it's a free gift but some people are afraid then because of us again because of the perversions for to then go and receive other gifts, spiritual gifts that God wants us to give. I just want to read a couple of scriptures. You can stay there right now in your Bibles. But First Timothy four, Paul says to Timothy, "Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery." Another scripture, Second Timothy one, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I think this is more than salvation. I think he's talking about some spiritual gift. Whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether it was his call of God to be gifted and called a pastor, <clears throat> whatever it is, it was something that was spiritual, a spiritual gift given by, by the Lord to Timothy. Uh, one more Scripture before we go on. 1 Peter 4, As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards... <clears throat> Excuse me, of the manifold grace of God. So God's given gifts, spiritual gifts to men. It's not just the, the fact that somebody has a, a talent to sing. That is a gift of God. Even a lost man can have that. Or an athletic ability. Those are talents and abilities that God gives to humankind. Okay, but That is not what's being talked about here. He's talking about spiritual endowments. 
miraculous gifts. He says, this is actually the definition. Miraculous faculty, a spiritual endowment. Now I want you to keep your spot in 1 Corinthians 12 and turn to Romans chapter 12. And I want to read just a little bit right here from Romans chapter 12. Let's pick up in verse 3. We'll read 3 through 8. For I say through the grace of given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has given to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And here again, these are not those are those are spiritual gifts specifically that are mentioned. <clears throat> They're a little different, and some may overlap with those that are here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the point is that we should never fear receiving a gift from God. And so I'm encouraging, and I don't know that you do, but I'm just I'm preaching this and teaching this because some people do. They're afraid to receive. They weren't afraid to receive Jesus Lord and Savior, possibly, but they're afraid to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're leery of it. Okay? And their eyes are upon men, or their eyes are upon an evangelist or a pastor of church or a doctrine or something that they've seen, and they relate that to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've said it before, and i say it again, I think it's very clever of our adversary, the devil, to paint such a perverted picture of such a wonderful gift. He does that with a lot of things, doesn't he? He does it with love, and he perverts love and makes it something lust or, or fornication or something. He does it with many things in life. And He does it with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that coincide with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights. So we shouldn't fear it. okay? And the Bible goes on to say that if He spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? He's going to give good things. Now concerning spiritual gifts... Uh, one of the problems, the problem is never with the gift itself. The gift is good, okay? And then the problem is never with the giver, because the giver is good, that's God. The problem is oftentimes with the, the receiver, okay? Either we fail to receive, or somebody may receive and then pervert it and use it in some way that it's not intended to be, or misrepresent this holy God and say, oh, this is the Holy Ghost. You know, what I'm doing is the Holy Ghost. What I'm preaching and teaching is a move of God. And it's not. And so it perverts what is good. And so we have to be cautious and we have to be careful. We need to have that discernment to know what's of God and what's of not. We go to His Word. And we're about to read. And in a minute, we're going to read this list of gifts that God gives. But oftentimes, y'all, even in that scenario, the gift is good, the giver is good. When we're talking about these spiritual gifts, a lot of times we fail to receive though. And I'm speaking to the church. I'm speaking to believers. We fail to pray for earnestly and to receive by faith the gifts that God has for us. 
In other words, we don't have a strong desire for spiritual gifts. And that's a lack on our part. It's not a lack on God's willingness to give or His intent for His people to be Spirit-filled and operate within the gifts of the Spirit. Oftentimes the problem is that we don't desire the way we should. And I'll put myself at the top of that list. 1 Corinthians 14.1, you don't have to turn there. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. There's a stronger word. In, in, in English, we think a desire is just a want. Okay? A, a desire. We want it. But the real, what's being conveyed here in the Greek is <clears throat> to follow after and to desire. It means to covet to be jealous over, to pursue after, to envy, to press towards. So it's a strong word that's given. So follow after spiritual gifts. It's saying desire them and to pursue after them. And I just want to, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because mine would go up first. I want us to think though. Please don't just listen and kind of zone out. Do you desire spiritual gifts? Do you pursue after spiritual gifts? Do you covet them? Because that's what the Word says. And envy them and press towards them. Do I follow after them? Because the Bible instructs us to do so. Okay, you and I, as blood-bought children of the Lord, washed in His blood, saved by His grace, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, should desire all that our God and Savior has for us. And I don't care about the one that's perverting it down there. God will deal with them. I want to live Christ rightly. I want to live this Word rightly. I want to represent Him rightly to a lost world. I want to live a life that's pleasing to Him, just between me and Him. Okay? And He tells me to desire spiritual gifts. To desire them. And to press towards them. And so forth. And uh, we ought to desire more of the Lord, y'all. More of the Lord. There's There's a baptism in the Holy Spirit that's for every believer. We've been talking about that. Every believer is not, but it is for every believer. And then there are gifts of the Spirit that I would say, according to the knowledge that I've come to understand from the Bible, there are gifts of the Spirit that accompany the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about this more in a little bit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit accompany the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure. That's the Lord in us by Spirit in an earthen vessel. But if I lack the desire for spiritual gifts and I'm just sort of content with where I am in the Lord, we ought to be desiring more of everything of God, y'all. Not that we're discontent and disgruntled okay, with where we are, but that there ought to be a holy longing in us for more. Does that make sense? I'm not complaining I'm longing for more. David said, As the heart pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where no water is. When shall I come before my God? When shall I appear before Him? He was longing for more of the Lord. Paul, we talked about in Sunday school that I may know Him. There was this driving Him, even though He's already saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, Paul was for more of Jesus, more love, more power, more of you in my life. Like we sing the song. Um, And if there is a lack of desire in any of our lives, there ought to be. We ought to make it a sincere matter of earnest prayer to pray. God, my heart's grown cold. God, I'm shallow. I'm saved. I belong to you, but 
I don't have this spiritual hunger in me for more. I don't have this desire in me. And I'm ashamed that I don't, but I don't. And I pray that You would stir it up within me. I pray that You would help me. And guess what, God? guys? God might lead us to fast. He might do it that second, but He might tell us to do something. He might say, turn off the TV and go pray some more at 6 to 7 p.m. or whatever. He might tell us to fast, to give up something and turn aside to God. He may lead us to, I want you to spend more time in my Word. I'm going to speak to you through it. And by the Word, your faith is going to be strengthened. And I'm going to stir up this in you. I want you to pray through the Psalms and start worshiping like David did. Even if you don't feel like it. And see what I'm going to do for you. He might lead us to do something in response to our prayer. And then He's going to answer that prayer. You understand what I mean? I want you to go witness to somebody. Say, what does that got to do? I want more spiritual gifts or desire. He says, I want you to go give what you have and I'm going to fill you back up. Go disciple somebody. Okay? He might put that upon our hearts and as we go and do that, He begins to minister to us and answer those prayers. But without a doubt, we should desire these things. If we don't, we need to turn to God. You don't need to go to a counselor. You need to turn to the Lord and say, God, my heart is not what it should be. I read about it, but I don't covet spiritual gifts the way I should. Help me to. Help me to. And make it a matter of prayer. And let's say, don't, God, don't let me go until this has worked in my life. And when He knows you're serious about it, He'll help you and deal, you, deal with you about that. And it's going to increase. There's going to be flames that are little now and He's going to fan them and they're going to stir up within us. Okay, That's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, the Lord, He says, if we're back in 1 Corinthians 12, does not want us to His people to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We said what the gift part was. The spiritual part means it's divine. It's supernatural. It's not carnal. Again, we're not just talking about gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts. So the spiritual gifts going together is divine. It's supernatural. It's not carnal. Okay, it's not a talent, it's a gift. And these Corinthian believers, it says, once they were led away in their ignorance, carried away with dumb idols, he says, now they're born again. They're to be led by a different spirit. Not carried away to dumb idols, okay, thinking that they're doing something right. They're to be led, and so are you and I as believers, to be led by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 3, Paul says, uh, I want you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus accursed. Can't do it. Okay? Can't do it. It's not more than just words. It's more like a profession or a confession. Calling Jesus accursed. And he also says that no man <clears throat> can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. This is not just a, a, a saying that Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say, go up to somebody, stick a microphone in their mouth and say Jesus is Lord. And they say it. This, that's not what it's saying. It's saying it's a profession or a confession of faith. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord and mean it and confess it from their hearts to the, back to the Lord without the Holy Ghost. Alright? Now, he talks in the next three verses, 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians 12. There are diversities of gifts, the same Spirit. Differences of administration, the same Lord. Diversities of operations, it's the same God which works all in all. We see in those three verses of the Spirit, the Son, and the Father all mentioned. Okay? Same Spirit, same Lord, that's Jesus, and same God. That would be the Father. 
in those, those three verses. But we also see there are differences. It says diversities of gifts. And these words sort of overlap a little bit. Diversities, differences of administrations, and differences of operation. And basically what it's saying is that there are different manifestations of these gifts. And they manifest themselves in some different way. Okay? This gift might be different than that gift. And, but it's the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations. That means offices or services. But it's the same Lord. It's Jesus Christ. There are differences of operations. That simply means workings or operations. But the same God who works all in all. So behind all of it is the Lord, the Lord Himself. Okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. One thing we can say is that behind all the different gifts and the different ways they're manifested, it may appear here and there, and they work in this church maybe more than they do in this one, or this gift may be more prevalent in 2017 maybe than it was last year or whatever. I can't control all that. But I do know that it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. And He is working and using those gifts to bring about a profit, it says, in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It is for your profit. It is for the, the, uh, the good. Now, where profit means to be better, to be good, to, to, to advantage. So the, the gifts of the Spirit are given to profit with all. They're given to profit with all. They're given by God to men. By God to men. For the glory of God, for the edification of His church, and they're to profit all of us. And the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, but we all know the Scripture. When Jesus had died and rose again, and He was with His disciples in one of the last few moments on this earth with them, He said in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow them that believe. You know the passage? They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. Uh, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So, I want to talk about this for just a moment that any God can use anybody at any time to do anything He wants. Now, it's impossible for God to lie or to sin. I'm not talking about that. But we read in the, in the Old Testament that God spoke through a donkey to Balaam, right? Spoke to him with the man's you know, word, audible words. And, and it, was, it was an unbelievable thing. Uh, to picture so that's a classic example of God can use anything to do anything he desires to do so anybody what I'm going to say is that God can use a believer let's say that's not baptized in the Holy Spirit to pray for a sick person and they get healed God can do that so we're not going to limit God and say he can't God can speak to a somebody that's again that's a believer but they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and use them to give a prophecy if that's what He chooses to do. But that is not the same thing as a man having received the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing where they can operate in that gift and function in that gifting uh, frequently and regularly and I would say confidently moving in that gift. Do you see the difference? That donkey probably didn't go home, home and have a conversation with his wife after that. You know what I mean? Or some other pack of donkeys when the day was over. It was something that came upon him in that moment and God used him. And God can do that. So I'm not about to limit the Lord in what He can do. 
that that is different than the gifts of the Spirit where He gives gifts to men. And you have this gift because I received it. And now I'm functioning in that way as the Holy Spirit functions me or moves me to use in that gift. I possess it and can be used, I would say, frequently and overly, over and over again with that gift. And I believe that's what's being taught. But all of it, the different administrations, the different manifestations of the gift and the different gifts, it's all by one Spirit. Not some other Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. There are mimics and there are mockings of it and there are imitations of it that would be satanic or maybe even just fleshly and a carnality. But in the midst of all that, and blow the, let the wind blow that aside, there is the real deal. Don't ever forget it. There is the real gifts of the Spirit and the real move of the Spirit and real healings and real miracles and real prophecies. That's what we want. And we need to know the difference what's of God and what's not of God. And one of the gifts is the gift of discerning of spirits. It's all for the profiting of all. It's not just going to be the profit for Jenny, but not for me. If it's something that's working in this church, it's going to profit with all. Okay? Even if it's just to strengthen our faith, maybe she's healed. Sherry has the gift of healing. And we're not mocking. We've seen all the perversions. Let's say God really gave her the gift of healing. And she would be used and she touched Jenny and prayed. And, and we saw that. We saw the healing take place. And it profits us all because all of our faith is strengthened. And we're all thankful, right? We're rejoicing. We're thanking God for this power to heal in His love. And so it's all to profit with all, uh, all of us. Now, God gives specific gifts in His church and, and the people operate within these gifts. And if somebody has them, if Sherry did have the gift of healing, for example, I shouldn't be jealous of that, right? I should be thankful that God blessed Sherry with the gift of healing. Because it's all for His glory, not mine in the first place. And it's not for Sherry's glory. It would be for the glory of God. And so don't be jealous. Just pray, God, use me. Use me. You know, help me to covet these gifts. Not for personal reasons, but for the glory of God. So we're jumping ahead, and then we're going to go backwards. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 27. Now I want to read 27 to the end of the chapter. Now ye are the body of Christ. This is born-again people and members in particular. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all, all apostles? Obviously their answer is no. Are all prophets? No. doesn't mean that all can't give a prophecy at some point. It means all are not prophets. That's not all their office. Okay? And all are not apostles. Are all teachers? No, they're not. But can everybody ought to be able to teach the Bible? Even if it's to your children, right? Or a co-worker. All may not have the position or calling of a teacher on their life. Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Well, that's the end of that chapter. The next chapter, 13, is the great love chapter where the Lord talks about the need for love and the use of all the gifts. We're not just wheeling around like some superhero, you know, showing off. It, is, it has to be motivated by love for believers, love for God, love for lost people. The love of God should have brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I just wanted to read that now. I would like us to take time to really look at um, 
look at a breakdown of the gifts, and I'm going to do my best to explain from what I've studied the gifts that are mentioned here. So let's read starting in verse 8. They're specific gifts, okay? And they're given by two individuals, individual believers. It's up to the Lord how He gives to whom He gives. Salvation is for all. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all. These gifts are given as God gives them. They're given simply as He wants to give them by the Lord. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So let's talk about those two, and they're very similar. Some of these gifts overlap in a way, okay? And I'm not the expert. I'm telling you what I've studied and what I've come to understand. They overlap a little bit. The word of wisdom is a supernatural insight or revelation of God's will and purpose. And it shows also how to solve the problem if there's a problem. So I'm going to read it again. If you're taking those word of wisdom that is given in verse 8 by the Spirit, supernatural insight or revelation of God's will and purpose or purpose. And it also would include the ability or the wisdom to know how to solve it if there's a problem. And it's supernatural. And every one of these gifts, and I don't want to repeat it, but all nine that are listed, uh, they're supernatural. We've explained what a spiritual gift is. Not a talent. Not a, I'm a little inclined to this, or I'm pretty good at this. It's, you wouldn't have it if God didn't give it to you. Bam. That's it. You would not have it if God didn't give it to you. But He did give it to you. And by faith, He wants us to operate in it. And we have to step out in faith sometimes and get out of our comfort zone and do that. But a word of wisdom. I want to give an example. You can keep your spot. We're going to keep turning back to 1 Corinthians 12. But look at Acts chapter uh, 27. We know this passage. It's, uh, Paul's on his way to Rome on a ship and there's been a, a bad storm and they're all scared for their lives and they're thinking there's no hope. Um, they're not going to make it. Even the sailors are scared. They've, they've thrown all the cargo off the ship and they're crying out to their idol gods and everything else. But Paul's praying. And let's look at verse 21. But after long abstinence, Acts 27-21, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. He's basically saying, I told you so before we ever left. And, and to have gained this, this harm and loss. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, how would he know that? He's saying it confidently. Anybody could have stood up and said it, but he knew it. Okay? Lost person could have stood up and said this. He knew it. God showed him. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I have served, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that are with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. So I see this maybe here as a, as a word of wisdom that God gave to Paul. And Paul spoke it to the whole ship. I think it was 270 people. Guess what? All 270 made it safe to land. It happened just like God said. And so he was able to speak that. A word of knowledge is very similar to a word of wisdom. It's a supernatural revelation or divine knowledge 
into God's plan or will, also into the plans of others. It might include other people that no man could know. You wouldn't know it, again, apart from the Lord. You wouldn't know it. So this is a word of knowledge, says in 1 Corinthians 12 Now let's, here's a good example. I believe a good example of a word of knowledge in the Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. There was a man named Ananias and his sapphire that were part of the church. Whether they were saved or not, I'm not sure. Some scholars believe they were. Some believe that they were not. But anyway, they sinned horribly and the Lord killed them. But let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Have you ever pictured that scene? Because here comes, Peter's just a man. He's a saved man. He's a spirit-filled man. But he's still just a human being. Here comes Ananias, who evidently he knew. He was in the church because he had sold some land like other many others were doing and having all things in common. He was dedicating the price of the land to the church. But he said, I sold it for $50,000 and here's the $50,000. Now how in the world would Peter have known he was lying? He didn't sell it for $50,000. He sold it for $150,000. You know I'm making these figures up, okay? And he said, yeah. Peter said, did you sell it for this much? Yep, for this much. 50000 Here it is. We're giving it all. He could have given as much as he wanted. He didn't have to give one dime of it if he didn't want to. But he lied. He said, I sold it for this much and I'm very generous and I'm giving, and I'm giving it all to the church. And Peter would not have known this had the Lord not given him a word of knowledge and says, you're a lion. He didn't ask him if he was lying. He told him he was lying. Okay? There was a lot of confidence. And that's another thing about the gifts of the Spirit. When somebody has been endued with these spiritual gifts and are walking closely with the Lord, they can walk in great confidence in these gifts. They're not wishing and hoping, boy, I hope this works out. I'm stepping out on the limb here. We don't see that. We just see He spoke. We see He told the lame man, we don't have silver and gold but we're going to give you what we have in Jesus' name. Rise up and walk. Oh, it didn't work. He didn't rise up and walk. Forget what we said. Here's some money for a happy meal. You know, we're going to go into the temple. He's, they, they operated and they operate in the power and the confidence of those gifts. And Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And about three, and he drops dead, okay? And they wind him up, bound him up, and take him out and bury him. And his wife comes in about three hours later, and she repeats the same lie. And he has the same word of knowledge and speaks to her, and she drops dead. These are things that a person would not know if God had not given that knowledge. I don't care what he could have done, he would have never known that. Never, never, never had God not given him a word of knowledge. And it was, guess what? It profited all. You say, well, it didn't profit Ananias. Well, it did. Exposed his sin. Okay. Maybe God called him home if he was a Christian before he went further astray. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not getting into that. But it it said great fear fell upon people in the church and outside of the church. And they magnified the Lord more. And more people got saved. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
It caused a reality of God. He's real. He can even know if you're lying or not. And people woke up to that. They magnified the Lord. God used it for His glory. I remember reading an R.A. Torrey book. I know I talk about him a lot. But he was preaching one time in a big, uh, in a big convention <clears throat> filled with people, an evangelistic crusade. And he was in Chicago and he said that he saw a man come sit on the very front row and he knew just by looking at him, this was a gambler. He called him a sporting man. There were people in that day that did a lot of going from Kansas City to Chicago and a lot of gambling. They were professional gamblers. They played poker and different things. And uh, he could tell by the way this guy dressed and the way he looked and acted. He looked at him right on the front row in his service. The service was just starting. And he said, that's a gambling man right there. He needs Jesus. And he didn't preach. He stopped right there and he said, he began to speak to the man and told him all about his life and his sin and wickedness. And they had an altar call right there and 500 people got saved. They never got to preach the Gospel. Never got to the, to the sermon that he had prepared. But God gave him a word of knowledge looking at a man who he'd never met before. Told him the story of his life. He spoke it to his life. That man got <coughs> saved. And 500 people got saved. And he never got to his text. Okay? Guess what? It was alright. Because God had that plan in mind. And back in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we see uh, going on through the gifts, we see there's a gift of faith. Now that sounds like a strange gift because uh, it says to another faith by the same Spirit and another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Uh, Every body that's born again has a measure of faith, right? You could not be saved. We're saved by grace through faith. A man can't be saved. And then there's just the daily faith that we have to get up out of the bed and go live for God and walk with God every day. He gives us that. We have faith to be saved when we were lost, to believe in Jesus and be born again, and then to get up and walk daily with the Lord. But he says here that there's a gift of faith that would be above and beyond that. And I believe it's something where, where the Lord is needing to, to give us supernatural faith for a specific moment or for a specific event or specific something that's taken place, okay? That, that, that I need, yes, I believe in God, but I, I'm having a hard time believing Him for this. And God gives you the faith to believe Him for this. You understand what I'm saying? I think that's a gift of faith. And I believe that God gives that gift of faith that would be above and beyond even the saving faith or the daily faith. The definition is a special gift of faith as needed, supernatural ability to believe God without human reasoning and without doubt. I just want to read this from Romans when Paul is talking about Abraham and he's talking about him being justified by faith. To me, this is an example of a gift of faith. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations for him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And here's what Abraham did, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, against all odds, basically, he still believed in the hope and the promise of God. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And so I believe that he had the normal faith to obey God, you know, in different circumstances in his life. But then it says here, against hope, believed in hope. And I believe he was gifted with a gift of faith to believe God. 
But whatever it is, every every believer has a measure of faith. But I can remember myself, y'all. I, I believe that the Lord gave me a gift of faith. I, I can remember two occasions. I'm sure there was more. <clears throat> but I've spoken about it before. One of the first trips, if not the first trip, I went on a uh, mission trip to Honduras. And one of the days we went to spend in the jungle, well, it acts like a jungle mountain. And, and these pastors, way before we got there, weeks before we had gotten there, had been told they were going to meet at a certain place on a certain day at a certain time. And I understood, not, I didn't know it until after I'd gotten there, a lot of these pastors had walked through these mountains for like days, two and three days to get to this particular service. And it was basically up on the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And we had to cross a river to get there and everything else and baptize some people in the river on the way up. It was a wonderful day. And we're at somebody's house, basically. They're like their little home. And there's chickens running around and stuff like that. And there's the pastors. Some of them were talking and addressing the other pastors and the people that showed up that day. And we're sort of outside. And they got a little microphone set up and a little thing like this set up out there. And it's getting closer and closer to the time where I'm going to preach. And it's like some some movie that you would picture with the clock dials going real fast. Because I had prayed and prayed and prayed and I did not know where I was going to preach that day. It was strange. I, I'm usually very prepared. Uh, mission fields are a little hard to be prepared because you don't always know. But I knew I was going to be preaching this day. And I prayed and I still didn't know what I was going to be preaching. And I'm standing away. They're all over here. And I'm kind of on the side of this little barbed wire fence by myself just kind of sweating and praying. And God, you've got to do it. you got to... I don't know what I'm going to say to all these men that have traveled and all these people. And... Uh, you got to give me a sermon or word. And I still didn't have any. They, they introduced me, you know. And I'm, I'm walking up. And so I walk up to the mic and I take it in my hand and I turn around and face all the people and I open my mouth and God gave me a whole sermon. I remember it from Hebrews 12 about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, like we talked about earlier in Sunday school. But God did it. But He gave me the faith. I could have said, no, no. Uh, why don't you preach today, brother? There were some other people that could have spoken, or one of the, one of the, uh, you know, Honduran pastors or somebody. And I knew the Lord. I knew it was a test for me. I didn't like it, but I knew it was a test for me. And God was faithful, and He gave me the faith to believe Him for that. I remember another time I just really sold out to the Lord. It was my last semester at LSU. I was living at my mom's house. And I was in the middle, I know I've shared this before, I was in the middle of final exams at LSU my last semester, and I got sick. I got real sick. Like, you could tell you're sick. Like, heat comes over and you're sweating and you're getting chills, and like, this is fever kind of sick. And I knew I was, and, and I had really, just within the last month or so, surrendered fully to the Lord. And I, I got on my knees beside the bed, nobody else was home, and I just said, Lord, your word says that the you know you're a healer of the sick. Your word says it, and I never pray for anybody else's healing or anything like that. But I was sick, and I'm sitting there studying for final exams, and I can't be sick and in the middle of finals. You know, and I'm talking about a little stomach ache. I was getting sick, and I knelt down and I, and I just spoke God's word back to Him. And Lord, You said <clears throat> that You're the healer 
and I need you to heal me. I cannot be sick in the middle of finals. And he touched me instantly. The fever went away, the cold and chills, the sweat, and the feeling sick and all that. And I sat back up in the bed and just kept studying and went going. God gave me like this real faith to stand upon His Word and just believe Him for it at that moment. And, and He healed me. I just give Him the glory and the honor. But, but the point is that there are times He'll give us faith uh, above and beyond. Above and beyond just what I would say it would be our typical daily living in Jesus' faith. Alright? And I thank the Lord for it because He knows what we need. So I'll keep reading and we'll go on to another. You could go a lot more in depth than all these gifts than I am. But this is for our purposes today. End of verse 9. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Again, any believer can be used. And if God chose to use a lost person, He could. Okay? To, to touch somebody and heal them. But the Bible says these signs should follow them to believe. And then we read here about a specific gift of healing. The gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So there is a gift of healing, supernatural ability to heal all manner of sicknesses without human medicine, etc. And this book I've been reading, well, I read years ago by Willie Burton, this missionary to Africa. And they're just out there. They're just out there in it. Living out there in it, if you know what I mean. Places, uncharted territories. He's drawing maps as he's going to these places. These African tribes and so forth. They have witch doctors and a cannibalism and all kinds of stuff. And there was a particular person that uh, for, had these horrible sores on their legs and black spots and they were oozing all the time. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And uh, this professor had said what had caused it. It was with him. And they prayed for him and they were instantly healed. And, it, and all the, the, the sores went away. There were just some little scars. Basically, he said as a reminder of what God had done. But they were healed. That same night, somebody came into their, uh, their house with rheumatism. I guess I'm assuming rheumatism, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. For seven years, they were crippled by it. And they prayed for him and they got healed and they walked out perfectly fine that night. He's got it all documented like in a daily diary that he took. But this is the Lord that we, we serve. And in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says that, I mean, Acts chapter 28, when that, that boat that Paul was on finally did, there was a shipwreck and they all got off safe to the island and the people came and were very kind to him. And it was wintertime. Remember the snake latched on his hand when he was getting firewood? He just shook it off and they thought he should have dropped dead by now, but he didn't. And then they thought he was a god. And he says, no, I'm not a god. The Lord has done this. And they brought him, the, the mayor of the whole island, they brought his dad, who had a father-in-law who was sick with, for years with this blood issue, and Paul touched him and healed him. He was instantly healed. There's so many scriptures in the Bible about miraculous healing, y'all. I don't even have time to go into it. Again, God can use anybody at any time. But the gift of healing would be some, a gift that's given to a person to where they, as long as they're walking closely with God and see fit, God can use them in that way, I would say typically if that makes sense. I definitely think somebody like Smith Wigglesworth, if you've read anything about his life, would be somebody that would fall into that. He had the gift of healing. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, and he was used by God in that way. He would always give the glory to God, and that's probably why God continued to use him in that way. But that doesn't mean you and I say, so well, I don't have that gift. You may not have that gift 
That doesn't mean we can't pray for sick people to be healed and expect them standing on God's Word for them to be healed. Okay? Uh, let's keep reading. We'll get through these, these gifts here. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning uh, of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Let's just talk about miracles for examples. This is a supernatural ability to intervene in the moral laws of nature if necessary. Uh, I'm going to just read a few. You could list uh, uh, hundreds of others. But the Bible says that Joshua spoke and the sun stood still. Right? He spoke and the sun stood still. Um, the, the Bible says that uh, we can. I'm going to turn and read this one real quickly. In Matthew chapter 14. Verse 29. And, and this is when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter says, If it's you, Lord, bid me to come on the water. And the Lord says, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now that's something definitely would not be the natural laws you know, of nature and physics and so forth. And he walked on the on the water. There's so many scriptures about it, but uh, we see the Lord doing these things uh, over and over. Uh, and God is able to do that. He's able to do it as He chooses. But He may give the gift of working miracles to a certain individual where that's for His glory. He desires to do that. I'm glad we serve a miracle-working God. You know, I remember years ago. This could have been 20 years ago or more. Quite close to 25 now. Uh, when there was a big movement in the church, to uh, they had the Jesus conferences, and they would get all the leaders of the big Christian denominations—Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Baptist, whatever, Lutheran—they get them all together. The who's who of these denominations? They met up in St. Paul, Minnesota, or somewhere, and they all got together and they would read a passage of the Bible. And then they would vote whether they believed it was true or not. And if they didn't believe it was true, basically they would rip that part out of the Bible or blot that part out of the Bible. So they'd read about uh, Peter getting a coin out of a fish's mouth to pay his taxes, that Jesus told him, go out and catch your first fish and, and you're going to find money in his mouth and use that to pay our taxes. And Peter did that and it was just like the Lord said. And they'd read something like that and they'd say, no, we don't believe that. That's, that's just a fairy tale for religious purposes. And they would tear it out. I'm glad that we serve a miracle-working God. I'm glad that Jesus, that Peter walked on the water. I'm glad He can still heal the sick. And He can use believers you know, in those offices as well. So I, it's nothing to me to believe that all those animals got on the ark. And I've always said, if I can believe that Jesus got up out of the grave the third day, then I can believe everything else that the Bible says. Alright? And I do. Praise God. The Lord helps us to. Let's keep going. Prophecy. Gift of prophecy. Again, anybody can be used to give a prophecy or to speak a prophetic word. But there's a gift of prophecy. Supernatural utterance in the native tongue. In other words, it's in your own language. Not conceived by the human thought or reasoning. It includes speaking to edify and it's, it could be telling future events, but not always. It doesn't have to be. I think a lot of times we think of prophecy, all we think about, and I've done it before too, all we think about is basically telling something before it happens. 
that is included in that. But prophecy is more than that. Prophecy is is that living word of God that's being spoken, the right word in the right moment, basically, the right word in the right season, the right word that was needed for that moment that God gave the unction to speak it, and that man prophesied or gave the right word. And it says in, in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. I'll say it again. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So it's not just foretelling the future, although it includes that. It's, it's a prophetic word that God gives. And I want to read this uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that we have these things, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That was a prophecy that was given. That's prophetic about end times things. God is going to fulfill those. But there are prophecies all through the Bible that have been fulfilled. And we can trust the Lord. All right? And then he talks about discerning of spirits, supernatural insight into the spiritual realm and the minds of men. Here's a wonderful example. In Acts chapter 16, Peter is walking along. And I think it's Silas that's with him at this time. It could be Barnabas. I'm not sure. And there's this lady following them. Okay? And she's following them for days. And I've always thought this is an incredible story because here's Paul and, and Barnabas and Luke probably. And they're walking along and there's this lady following them. The lady's saying things that are right. The lady's saying, these men are, are servants of the Most High God and they show unto us you the way of salvation. Well, she's right. Okay? She's correct. But she wasn't right, if you know what I mean. She said some the things that were right, but she wasn't right. If God wanted to send somebody before them blowing the trumpet and announcing who they were, He would have done it. This was demonic, actually. It caused more problems than good. And it says in verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. She has a, a fortune-telling spirit. It's demonic. Okay? Met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. This did she many days. So there's nothing to be exposed that she was demonic. And nothing on the surface, I guess you would say. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. So he knew what was going on. It's just like Peter with Ananias and Sapphira. He would not have known had the Lord not shown him. He might have scratched his head and wondered. But he didn't do that scratching his head and wondering. He spoke with a great confidence. He was grieved for several days. But when the Lord said, Paul, it's enough. Deal with it. Here's the problem. Here's how I want you to deal with it. He dealt with it. Okay? Discerning of spirits. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was another spirit. It was a spirit of divination. And he rebuked the spirit. And the spirit came out the same hour. Okay? And so, it's important that we be able to discern spirits. Would you agree? 
Because a lot of people will go and say and speak in the name of Jesus and maybe pick up, pick up their Bible and read things that are biblical and teach things that are from the Scriptures and yet they not be right. And that spirit that's coming out is not right. And the way people are being led is not right. It's leading them away. We have to have discernment of spirits. Now, I don't live in fear of that, of being deceived, but at the same time, we need to have that discernment to know. And one of the gifts that God gives is the discerning of spirits. Then he goes on to say uh, two more diversity, uh, diverse, diverse kinds of tongues. All right? A supernatural utterance in another language is not known to the speaker. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost that they were all in one place in one accord and suddenly there comes in a rushing mighty wind and, and fire sits upon them all and they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they, that language that they spoke in for each of those 120 that spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem, to them, the language was unknown. It would be like Diane, all of a sudden she could start speaking perfect you know, uh, Russian or something. And I don't know if she knows Russian, but if she did, did not, and start speaking it perfectly, glorifying God. That is a gift, a gift of tongues. And then Stephen, who doesn't speak Russian either, he hears her speaking that, and God gives him understanding of what she's saying. That's interpretation of tongues. And he speaks it, and it glorifies God. And what they said glorified God. And just the fact that the gift was at work, just like the Bible says, glorified God. We're going to get into that next week and we're going to probably wrap this up on how the gifts of the Spirit are to be used within a church service and so forth. And there's very specific details about tongues and interpretation of tongues. But I know that uh, we're, I know Clarissa's around here, but I heard the testimony before years and years and years ago of her and Jill Weibel on a mission trip in Mexico. And they were asked to come in and as they're going from hut to hut and sharing the Gospel, inviting people to a service or something, they were uh, asked to come inside. This woman said, my daughter's very sick. Would you come pray for her? And they didn't have a translator with her, but they knew what she wanted. And they went in there. They, they did not have a Spanish-speaking translator. Neither one of them speaks Spanish. And they begin to pray over this sick girl. And the, the, the mother was just amazed and looked up and just couldn't believe what was going on. And she says, I thought y'all didn't speak Spanish. And they said, we don't. She goes, well, both of y'all just prayed the most beautiful prayer over my daughter in perfect Spanish. The Lord can do that. That's a gift of tongues. It's for the glory of God. It's not to show off and say, listen to me, rattle off a few words in tongues. It's for the glory of God. Okay? So there's tongues and there's interpretation of tongues. Willie Burton was saying in his book, he says, yeah, I remember at least one occasion he said where uh, we were all together. He said at least two occasions occurred when they were in their services deep in the Congo. Okay? And just picture the people that they're with. These Africans that live back there, very uh, secluded from the rest of the world, that they gotten saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, at least two occasions were those who praised God in beautiful English. And I also heard snatches of French and Dutch and German. And all, all spoken tongues 
had languages with beautiful, clear R sounds. And he says, this particular tribe, the Luba, cannot properly pronounce the R sound with their mouth. But they spoke in perfect English, and they glorified God in French, English, Dutch, and German, and made beautiful, perfect R sounds. And we went on to teach those people, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And I just want to close you all with with this thought that, that we're, we're told to desire these gifts. We're told that they're for the benefit of all. And we'll get into that more next week about the orderly manner that God does things and the disorder that we can see on, on occasion. But you and I are told in the Word of God to cover, covet these gifts. We're told to desire them because it glorifies God when it's done properly. And it's for us. You could say, well, I'm just a little nobody. But God chooses to use the base things and the simple things and the foolish things to confound the wise. That, that He that glories, let Him glory in the Lord. That no one can boast. He specifically does it that way. So you and I are the perfect candidates to be used in that way. I'm quiet. I'm bashful. I'm very reserved. I don't speak in public. Uh, God may use you, give you the gift of prophecy. And you speak publicly and testify of the Lord is not based on your natural personality or your natural inclinations. It's based on the gifts of God and how He gives them and how He chooses to give them. And it's all for His glory. Christians are not to be a freak show or a little side show like we're some little circus over here. Hey, I heard you healed somebody last week. Show me some, some little trick over here. Do something. And they're just mockers. And if you healed a thousand people, they wouldn't believe anyway. Right? They're coming in the wrong spirit and attitude. I don't owe them anything but the Gospel. And we don't have to do that. It's not a freak show. It's for the glory of God. And it's for His holy purposes. And I want to close with this. And I want to close with this thought from this book. Okay, again, this, this missionary that I've talked about, Willie Burton, spirit-filled man of God, dedicated his life to the Lord, so served the Lord, um, I think, for like 75 years straight without taking a break. And he, most of it, I think the last 55 years of his life were spent in Africa. He went places literally that nobody had been before. And he saw people saved. He saw people healed. He saw people baptized with the Holy Spirit. He saw mortal enemies of different tribes that were reconciled and hugging each other and loving each other. That for centuries and centuries had been warring and killing each other and hating each other. He saw all this. And he goes, the sign, this is in his journal, the signs of an apostle, apostle were wrought among you in all patience. He's quoting this from 2 Corinthians 12. In signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So speaks Paul of his divine credentials. The proof that God had sent him was the accompanying signs. So there, the proof that he was sent was like he's saying when Paul was sent, it was he didn't it wasn't just words. There was a power. Okay, same for Philip going to Samaria. Gideon was quite right in assuring himself that the angel who had sent him came by divine authority. And so he asked first, "If the Lord be with us, where are all His mighty miracles?" So even in the Old Testament, Gideon was saying, "You're saying God's with us, angel, but if God's really with us, where are His miracles?" He was right in saying that. Because God is a God of miracles. And God did some miracles to assure Gideon. Later, Gideon prays, If now I've found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that it is really you talking to me. 
God has at all times given His children credentials. When Moses approached Pharaoh, God gave him signs. When Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, God gave him a sign. That's the fire coming down from heaven. And so it, it will be right to the times of the tribulation and the end when God's two witnesses will accompany their testimony with credentials of signs. Jesus Himself said, the same works that I do bear witness to who I am and that the Father has sent me. When Christ sent forth His first apostles, He told them that they must heal the sick and He commanded this he commanded, this commandment has never been withdrawn. Okay, so he's still doing that. He sent his apostles out on their first little trial run, and he told them to heal the sick and to cast out devils. And he goes on to say, In fact, when sending his disciples into all the world, Christ's last words were, These signs shall follow them that believe. And true to his promise, the Lord plentifully strewed their pathway with full. Uh, as they went forth and preached everywhere with signs following. Thus we see Philip at Samaria healing the sick, Peter at Lydda healing the sick, Paul at Lystra healing the sick. Now Jesus never divided the Gospel into two parts. He didn't say you're going to have an apostolic age with signs following and then a post-apostolic age without signs. I like the way he's just saying it. No, he said, as the Father hath sent me, so have I sent you. And he told his disciples to make other disciples among all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Have we not right to expect the same credentials of signs following as an evidence that they expected when they went? And I would say, yes, we do. There's not a post-apostolic age. That's not just for the apostles. And so God wants us to walk in that. He wants us to live in that. And we don't. Quite frankly, we don't for the most part. I don't for the most part. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen God heal the sick. The Lord used me to cast a devil out of a demon out of a man at Angola one time. I've seen the Lord do these things, but I wouldn't say typically we walk in these gifts and in the sense that God would want us to. And the lacking is not the gift of the giver. The lacking is, is in our desire to, to desire those spiritual gifts. I see nothing in the Bible that tells me otherwise. I see nothing in the Bible that tells me God has stopped doing it. Or He's going to stop doing it. It's for us today. And so I just want you all to stand this morning. And we're going to just spend some time. So next week we'll probably... See finish up this series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But wherever you are right now with the Lord in all of this, I pray that through the Word of God and through these sermons that God has spoken to your heart and brought more of a clarity about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts. And that wherever you are in your desire for God, the gifts of the Spirit included, but not just the gifts of the Spirit, wherever you are in your longing for the Lord, for more of Jesus, for more of His love, more of His power, more of a heart for lost people, whatever it may be, that God would increase it. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying it for myself. You need to pray it for you. And you need to pray it for this church, Cornerstone Church of Baton Rouge, that God would increase our longing for Him. If it's from God, I want it. And I want to want to want it more, if you know what I mean. I want the desires to be there. 
So that's what our altar time is about. If God leads you, go pray over somebody. Put your hand on their shoulders and their head and pray for them as the Lord would lead you. Pray for this church. We're having a prayer meeting tonight, y'all. And, and uh, I'm thankful our president has declared this day a day of prayer today. And I'm very thankful for that with all that's going on. We're going to come back tonight and pray and get a hold of the Lord. But right now, take that time. Ask God to touch your heart and increase your longing after Him, including the gifts of the Spirit.